0: Hello and welcome. My name is Tanai and I help women become confident with themselves and their sexuality and shed the pressure to be the good girl. For the past 10 years, I've worked with all kinds of sex and relationship experts to heal what I thought was commitment phobia, only to find out that there's actually no such thing. This podcast is my opportunity to debunk commitment phobia, so drop all of your preconceived notions and tune in to hear what I've learned along my journey about what it takes for people to create authentic and intimate connections. This is Commitment Phobe.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Commitment Phobe. Today, I'm joined by documentary filmmakers Matthew and Barnaby O'Connor. We're going to talk about their latest documentary, The Pickup Game, which gives an inside look at the emergence of the pickup industry and show some of the dark side of the coaching world as they show how coaches, um, seduction coaches travel around the globe and charge these super high prices to teach men how to get women and sleep with them. Thank you so much for being here. I was really impacted by this film. Personally, I knew about the book, The Game. I know my brother read it in high school and I didn't really know what was in this book. I just knew, yeah, okay. So a couple of men figured out how to help you know vulnerable guys get girls and i didn't really think much to it so when i saw this film it was definitely a big eye opener um and and a, and a message that i really think a lot of people need to hear you know i i've had men on my podcast talk about their experience of not you know not knowing what to do with dating and not knowing what to do with women but they went towards a healthier route of you know working on themselves spirituality working with coaches so it was, yeah, very interesting to see the other side, you know, the, the darkest side of this. So I would um, love for you guys to say in your words what this um, film is all about.
2: Yeah, all right, cool. So first of all, thank you for having us on. Um, what is this film all about? Uh, I can tell you in very sort of nuts and bolts terms. Um, I think in terms of, uh, that's that's a layered answer though. Um, the, the, the kind of the answer to that question is quite layered. I mean, in 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 nuts and bolts terms, it is kind of an investigation and a critique of uh, the pickup industry, which has been around in various forms since the nineteen eighties. Um, as you say, it was kind of brought to into the public consciousness by the game when the game came out in two thousand five, two thousand six. Um, and again, like you say, it was kind of a cultural the game was sort of a cultural phenomenon that everyone was talking about. And I think I know lots and lots of people that read it. It was the kind of book that got passed around and discussed. And I, there I there is this huge subculture that exists and, and industry that exists that people have sort of heard of in passing, but they don't really know about and they don't really understand. And um, the documentary is a kind of behind the scenes look, a, a really in-depth insider look at that at that industry and subculture.
1: That was Matthew, by the way, just because I realize people can't see your faces. So that was...
2: Right. Uh, well, because uh, we, we
3: both sound quite similar. So, uh, well,
2: yeah.
3: to give a, a quick one-liner, um, it's, a, it's mm-hmm. a horrifying yet gripping um, insider journalistic kind of expose of, uh, of an industry.
1: Right. Yeah. And, you know, as a coach, Um, I definitely, it's, yeah, it's interesting to kind of relate to that in in the sense that I am a coach and I'm part of this coaching industry. And I do, I do hear also coaches that, and, and other similar situations where people are sold, you know, year long programs for a hundred thousand dollars and, and everyone just wants more of what they're promised. And so it's, it is just such a, you know, dangerous industry, as you just said. What inspired you guys to create this film? How did you how did you come about the idea of creating
2: this? So I think I think the simple answer is um, it's a fascinating. It pick up as a topic is a little bit kind of sleazy, and some people are a bit dismissive of it. But I think it's actually a really really good way of it's a, it's a little microcosm of the human condition in many ways. In that it's we all want to be desirable. Um, I mean, maybe not, you know, like for the most part, everybody wants to find a mate. We want to be popular. We want to feel secure in ourselves. And actually, this is really, you know, you say, sort of say pick up industry and in passing or pick up and people are like, uh, yeah, I don't know. But, but, but that's what all of this ties into. All of these uh, classes, all of these techniques, these, what these people are trying to grapple with essentially is these very, very fundamental raw, human needs, they're just doing it in a way that ultimately can be very damaging if you're not careful. And that's that's really what the documentary is trying to explore. And and it, the documentary is sort of a cautionary tale in many ways. Um, yeah, if that answers your question. I think um as well to to build on
3: what Matthew was saying is that if you look at kind of should we say the origins of the pickup industry um that kind of started back in the eighties when a character called Ross Jeffries looked at neurolinguistic programming and then decided to apply those similar um should we say healing um formats or um methodology to kind of seduction and uh you know you kind of throughout the documentary you see the effects of that and how it's kind of grown over the years looking at things like social dynamics and body language in order to kind of gauge how people are responding to your behavior. Um, I think since the game, the book The Game came out, pickup as a, as a topic has kind of seeped into society. You have Films like Hitch, you have How I Met Your Mother, you have kind of You're My Wingman, um, you know, My Game's Not Great. So the, I think the slightly lighter side of the industry has kind of crept into, um, you know, society in, in, in general. But I think that there's quite a large part of, should we say, the psychological damage um, or dangers if, you know, these kind of uh, tactics and techniques are used um out of context um that, that can actually do some you know some quite serious harm so what we do is we the documentary kind of has a little bit of a slow burn to start with where we introduce the history we go into you know the key players and how it kind of evolved into um what it is today and then of course it then flips over to say okay this is how it can get completely out of control if you're not careful
1: right yeah I think what's so key that you pointed out here is, um, is the hurt that it causes, and and how out of, you know, how to, out of proportion things can get. Because it's like you think about advertising too. Advertising has so much manipulation, and as humans, we're so easily manipulated. Where is that? Where 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 does it too far? Right? How how do we determine that fine line between just you know a normal like a normal amount of manipulation, like flirting or like advertising? And, and when it gets to too much, when it actually hurts
2: people. Well, I think this is one of the things that the documentary tries to address. And I think the answer to that is, uh, this is kind of the point we're, we're hoping to make, is that honesty is actually yeah, yeah very powerful as a, in terms of making it. honesty when people are honest and well, they're true, selves and when they communicate honestly that is very attractive and someone who is willing to be who they are is also quite attractive um that doesn't mean that dangerous people aren't can't be attractive or manipulative like i mean it's not it's not it's not like one but but there is a value in honesty and so i i think uh, i mean one of the contributors in the film minnie has spoken about this that some who's she's sort of the moral voice of the film is you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to sort of go up to somebody and hey, you have, it, I say, a canned line that you use, and it. but it's it's that one person that you've seen in the day or in the week and, and it's, wow, that person really caught my eye, and you go up and you say your, your canned line. And then it's different if you, at, at a later date, say, well, you know what, that was just a, a little rehearsed thing to try and start a conversation with you because I thought you were really attractive. Or, that's very different to taking that same line and going out and approaching Twenty or thirty people a day, just trying to rack up as many numbers as possible. So I think I think intent is one side of that, and honesty is is the other.
1: Right, and they could even combined. Like you could have honest Mm. intentions. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. Like if if you have honest intentions with something, then it really does make a difference.
3: What the what the the, I think um, one of the things that we look into in the documentary as well is that. Mm If you, if you kind of change your personality, that something that makes you an individual and you effectively kind of put on a cloak, um, of, should we say a false persona? If you do that often enough, it does change you mentally. Um, and I think the thing is, is that, uh, the documentary also looks quite closely into kind of dehuman, dehumanization of people um that could be the students that are attending the courses because the instructors are looking at them just as a dollar bill or the women that these students are approaching because it's okay you know was she a three was she a five was she a ten year whatever um you know it's just about how many numbers did I get how many women have I slept with this week and you know if if uh, should we say promiscuity is your desire then just yeah. You know, be honest about it. It's not that um, you know you have to completely change your persona um, to effectively be a a, a multi, um, you know, reproduced robot um, and lose your sense of self. I mean, I I think this is kind of uh, one of the chords that we're trying to strike in in the documentary is to say, look, you need to be yourself. You need to be honest. You need to work on you know, improving, um, you know, your self-worth and your confidence. And maybe this is not the best way to go about it. And what we're going to do is we're going to show you the the bare bones of everything from what goes into the business to some of the sort of slightly, um, more serious outcomes that can, can happen with this type of behavior.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What, how did, how did you guys, Like, can you walk me through that moment where you started, I guess my question is, how did you come about this topic? How did you decide, wow, this is something that there's really a story here and it's our job to tell it to the world?
2: So we knew, we knew about the game, obviously the book, the game. So we were kind of aware there was, there was two sort of key incidents. First one was, um, there was, we were filming a music video and there was, uh, an actress in it who was working as a conversation girl for one of the pickup companies and she was kind of telling us a story and this was around the sort of time where we were thinking about exploring this anyway and so we were we were saying oh you know we're thinking about doing this this documentary or doing some kind of documentary on the pickup industry and she said oh well you're never going to believe this but i work for a pickup company i work as a conversation girl students come to me i i try and teach them how to be how to start conversations how to keep conversations going um so we interviewed her that was the first kind of interview so that was the first step into it
1: okay so that was the universe saying this is the this is the path like you're like we kind of want to do this and then boom the universe puts this woman in your path
2: yeah I, I, i mean i guess yeah i guess that's 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 pretty much what it was kind of it was there and and then we 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 sort of after that initial interview, then we interviewed a guy called Ross Jeffries, who, um, is known, is, is, his nickname is like the godfather of pickup. He's the considered by many to be the founder of the pickup uh, kind of ideology. Um. And that opened a lot of doors in terms of getting other people to speak to us. So it was a progressive, so that we of, worked, you know, speak to one person who then recommends somebody else, who then recommends somebody else, and and then it just grows and grows and grows. But we filmed over the course of about four years. It wasn't it wasn't all not four years, so about two and a half years.
3: So to kind of uh, add to to what Matt was saying is that once we interviewed the uh, the conversation girl, we kind of sat down and had a conversation, and said right, okay. In order for us to continue with this kind of idea, we really need to find out where it started and what really got that ball rolling. Um, which was why we went went after it's probably it's probably too serious a word to use, but why we approached Ross Jeffries and said, "Look, okay, we've done our research, and according to you know uh, popular." Uh, popular thought you are the godfather and and effectively the creator or one of the creators of this particular industry so we actually had directly from him his thoughts of why he moved towards kind of nlp and psychology in order to kind of um or sales as well um, effectively in order to improve his dating life and how that kind of grew to to, to where we are today.
2: Mm. I mean, just just to add to your bit earlier about the universe saying "here you go," and and yeah. uh, it, this is interesting because because we're actually as a, as a kind of tangent, we're working on. It is funny how you end up interviewing people because there's a tremendous. Um, I mean, people often say to us, "How did you get this person? How did you get that person?" It, it isn't. There's no. I mean, we literally just write them an email or ask somebody that knows them and and who, or maybe someone that knows them, you know, like a few steps removed. Um, and it is interesting. I mean, there's uh, someone who's been in the headlines in the UK quite a lot recently, and there are, uh, I don't know, probably a few dozen people that are trying to interview him and they want to make a documentary about him. Um, and he actually just signed on with us and it was simply, I'd read about him in the paper. Uh, I sent him, I found his email address. I sent him an email and for some reason it just it just kind of lined up and he's he's willing to talk to us he was willing to to sort of sign the deal to do the documentary um so I, I think maybe in some ways there is that thing okay let's just see where this goes and sometimes it pans out sometimes it doesn't people say no of course but um yeah just to add to that right
1: but i'm sure yeah like i'm sure as filmmakers you can tell the difference between when you're trying to do a project and you're forcing it and, and when things just fall into place and and you're just kind of following the breadcrumbs right did you did you even know going in what you what was going to come out of it fully?
2: No, not in the beginning. I mean we I think we have been on a huge personal journey through making this film.
3: yeah we were, we were filming for almost three years um, and then everything pretty much full time for a year after that. Mm-hmm. And it pretty much as we grew, um, the story kind of grew with us as well as, um, you know, there was, I think Me Too and Time's Up was kind of in its infancy when we started, um, the filming process. And I think what that did was that actually enabled us to get a lot more footage and a lot more content from the YouTube channels than we would have done um, post right. kind of Me Too because a lot of the social media platforms started de deplatforming the coaches and, um, you know, booting them off social media um, because right. of their slightly radical um, approach uh,
2: to, uh, yeah. Yeah, not yeah. even slightly.
3: Very. <laughs> <Okay. That's> <laughs> I, I wanted to try and be delicate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: What were your personal experiences growing up? And I'm sure you reflected this a lot while making this film. What were your personal experiences growing up when it came to your own dating lives and your own relationships to, you know, talking to women or oh. relationships to women? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> no, it's nothing is engaging as a I bad dating story. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think it's. I think for many years it was um, between between us and a group of friends. It was like who had the worst dating story from, you know, tripping over and falling flat on your face to all sort of manner of things. But um,
2: yeah, I think I think the thing is, and this is. God, I mean, where this, you know, dating is tough, I think is, is the truth of it. Um, it's very hard it, 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 and it's, it's, you know, it's a, it can be a very for all, but like a very small number of people that seem to have it easy for most people. It's really difficult and it's really frustrating. And I think that's what gives things like pick up appeal that's why people kind of are drawn to it or fall into it. Um, in terms of my own personal story, I think uh, one of the things to tie it back to your podcast uh, and the, the, the sort of core theme of your podcast is I think a lot of, I think there is a thing that people are afraid of intimacy and they're afraid to commit, but most people don't even realize that. There's this really odd subconscious thing where you, you can end up going for people that are emotion, emotionally unavailable. You don't even realize this because it's, it, there's no risk in that. And it's, it's almost something that happens on autopilot. You just end up picking the wrong people in quotes. Um, and I think the, that extends into pickup because in pickup, although they say they're teaching you to be yourself and they say they're trying to give you confidence, a lot of the time they're actually teaching you to aspire to this alpha male ideal. And to be, to become something else. I mean, I, I was listening to, um, Bo Burnham, the comedian. He said something quite interesting, which was that society rewards extroversion much more than it does introversion. And
1: especially now with social media. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I thought, do you know what? That's a really interesting point. And, and he's a comedian, you know, who makes his money off being on, on, uh, the platforms and on social media. So. Right. But I I just, I thought that was a really good point. And I think, I think with some of the pickup stuff is, you know, if you can create this persona, if you can just become this person, I mean, it's such, it's like the the disease of the modern age, Like, if I can just become X, everything will be all right. And you see it in the pickup instructors, you see it in the students, many, many students had uh, nothing wrong with them in the sense that, you know, they were reasonably attractive, they had good jobs, they were good in conversation. But they were missing. There was a, a, a missing element of self-belief. They felt like they needed to be something else. They, they don't realize that actually, it's all there mm-hmm. already. And the problem is, when you when you create a persona, then it's then it's even more difficult to find intimacy, and it's even more difficult to to, to, to have genuine connection. And sorry, last topic, and then I'll last a little bit.
1: No, oh, yeah, keep going
2: is that maybe you don't care. Maybe in your early twenties or your late teens, you just want to fool around as well, much casual segment, but you know, fine. But at some point, I, I personally believe at some point you you have to kind of pay the piper on that. Because we're we are I think a lot of people really what they want is a, a partner or they want they want intimacy with multi you enough know, you want to be polyamorous or whatever I and mean, not to but however however, whatever that whatever that looks like they they want uh some form of intimacy and to be able to be open with people and and anyway so that's that's my my thoughts on it maybe
3: maybe i'm going off on a slight tangent on this one um i think the thing is there's many there's many different reasons that people get into the pickup industry um I think it preys in terms of the marketing and, and shall we say, the sales funnel um, on many different emotional aspects of people's lives. I think if you look at, uh, without meaning to put it into sort of an NLP sort of mindset, but if you look at the frame of everyone in their life has had um, a relationship of some sort. So whatever age you have that relationship with, whatever sex person that is with, If that eventually turns into a negative emotion, so you dated the girl at high school or the guy or whatever, and you were madly in love with them and they cheated on you, that starts to kind of plant that seed of hate or hurt or, you know, okay, I don't want to feel like this again. So then, you know, the barriers start coming up and you start changing. And I think the thing is, is that for some men that attend the course, there is an awful lot of anger that's sort of deep-seated in in their lives as okay i feel that i want to get one up on women now i want to be in control i want to be the one that dictates um the story and i don't want to be left um you know in tears like i was years ago or um preying on people that you know they've been married for 40 years they get divorced for whatever reason they've been out of the dating scene for x amount of time it's like look you know, we will give you the key that will unlock unlimited amount of um, mm. sexual conquest. People will adore you. You'll have like friends. It's a very seductive, um, path to go down. Um, and sometimes maybe, you know, uh, bringing it back to sort of the topic of, of the podcast, maybe looking at what instigated or what was the trigger for that emotion and it could be something that you know maybe when you were in kindergarten and you gave somebody a flower and they kind of stomped on it and that crossed you these are the things that you need to be focusing on i think
1: yeah that's that's huge that that in the end of the day what we're looking for and in, in getting people's approval and attention is feeling okay with ourselves which can really only start with that self-love and you know it's interesting because the reason why i developed the commitment phobia, you know, or what that's what I called it at the time, was that growing up, I didn't have any interactions with men until age 16 when I realized, okay, I had to do something about this. I learned about the law of attraction and I learned how I could be a certain way and get men's attention. So it's almost like I did the same thing on my own. I knew how to seduce men. If I just smiled like Rachel McAdams, if I just was mysterious and giggly, laughed at everything they said. Was low maintenance, you know, didn't really complain or ask for too much. Then I could get men.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was the hottest girl in my high school at some point. Like everyone wanted to hug up with me, and and so what would happen is that the commitment phobia was that I would just be lying for enough time until it was like I lied enough, and that would cause anxiety in my body. Because that's what happens with our bodies, you know, we can't. That's how lie detectors work. Like our, our adrenaline spikes up, our hormones are all over the place. And so it came to a moment where I was like I can't live this lie anymore. I got to leave this relationship. So I I 100% uh you know agree with, with what well, you Well, it's
2: exhausting. Saying. That is Is the thing.
1: Yes, it's exhausting. Yeah. Is that is that what you guys notice in 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 some of these men like especially the the
2: students or the Well, trainers? especially in the instructors. I mean, the thing is I do you know, I do have some I don't know if empathy is the right word. I, I, I look at the, I look at some of the instructors. They are the brand. People are buying these products because they want to be like the instructors. Yeah. And so they, the instructors around the students have to always be on. They have to always look like they've got their act together. They, and, and I think that is very tiring. And some of them seem perpetually dissatisfied with life. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. And of course the irony of it is, and we've talked about this in other, other kind of issues is that students are paying thousands and thousands of dollars because they want to be like that instructor guy, but they don't realize that instructor guy is actually kind of <laughs> miserable. <laughs> dissatisfied with life.
1: Right. It's all about these external results. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing about wanting to be like a millionaire when like so many millionaires are really depressed.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think the thing is, is that when you look at um, kind of to bring it back to the documentary is that what we try and do is we try and show the business side of the industry as well, because what a lot of people, especially in this day and age, um, and I'm sure that I've, I've used this um, as a as a, descriptor, a description previously, is that I see people that look at things on YouTube or Instagram and it's like my friends pranking. The sister or whatever and it from somebody coming from the movie industry it's like there's no way that that's a spur of the moment prank it's been planned it's been set up and the cameras are in the right area and there's no way that jumping up and down on the bed is not going to wake somebody up you know yeah but anyways and I think the thing is is that for a lot of people that aren't aware of that of editing dubbing cutting sound effects you you just take it at face value. And I think what a lot of the industry does is they take 200 clips that have gone out for a week all day, every day, day in, day out, nighttime, mornings, after parties, just to get two or three clips that they put into a 30-second reel. Um, and I think a lot of people buy into that. To go, oh, look, it, it, it was on it, their Instagram account. You know, literally every girl they go up to, they, they get, you know, it must be real. Yeah. And and it's like okay that's not the actual reality and a lot of these people who sell this you know wonderful james bond style lifestyle are literally living in a tiny little one bedroom apartment or hotel room with the other guys because they're moving from town to town they have no time to go out they have no time to eat they have no time to call the friends and hang out with a girlfriend, I don't even have a girlfriend, Wow.
1: Um,
3: you know, and it's kind of broaching the subject of um, role models is, is that I think that's a really big issue for the world now. Um, You know, what the people look up to, you know, cocaine cowboys and whatever.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, it actually brings up something that I wanted to ask you guys about, which is something, one of the lines that really struck out to me in this film was, Men don't really have mentors anymore. They don't have strong father figures. They just have books and the internet. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I would love for you guys to talk a little bit about that, and maybe even share your personal experiences about this as 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 just a thing. Like, what is it like for men right
2: now? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult for everybody. I don't think that's exclusive to. I don't think that. I don't think men have the monopoly on having a hard time just to be just to be uh you know kind of right equal opportunity yeah yeah, of and, course. Um, <laughs> it's not, yeah but
1: yeah. but there is something <laughs> no, to say I, about men right now being very confused and getting a lot of confusing
2: messages I, I completely agree because I think I think part of that is there's been a lot of change in the last 30 40 years 50 years in terms of gender roles and uh kind of norms and I think people are uh, very confused. Um, I, yeah, I think they can be very confused. I mean, uh, I suppose this is about being vulnerable, this podcast. So that's, <laughs> 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 I mean, I think, I think I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that. That's not something I think within our family. Uh, I think we had, we had strong role models. I don't think, uh, that's not something that came out of, um, but, but I, but I do think with men and, and I think it's the same for, women. I think it's for everybody. It's very, very hard to know what, what, how do we behave? How do we act? It, it, there's a lot of conflicting stuff out there. There isn't really anyone to follow really um, outside of family, outside of, uh, you know, you're lucky if you have, if you have family role models, you're lucky. I think be very, very wary of professional role models is kind of my thing, you know, gurus, and I'm always, especially having spent so much time in the pickup, not not to say that there aren't people out there that can, but I'm I'm extreme, I'm super skeptical because I think I think the problem is you're externalizing the issue. You're like, well, that, that that person can fix it. And it's like, well, well, it's really within you. The answers are within you yourself. So corny and cliched, but I. It, it is kind oh, of true. It's really it's not.
1: And I think like, I think, right now more than ever, <laughs> right now more than ever, like politicians are showing their true colors. M- uh, medical officials are showing their true colors. So uh, now more than ever, the message really is you can only listen to your inner guidance. Like all the answers are within, I like, guess as, as cheesy as it really sounds.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, We'll see how let's see how deep it Matt, okay. If i'm going to I'll just start shouting out. <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know, so, to, so to bring this to like should we say the the a love angle you know i think love as a word i think is overused in this day and age um from my experience um i think everyone mm-hmm. is like oh i love you and it's like dude oh lady you don't even know me right yeah um so so it's like let's kind of put that to one side and let's kind of chat and it's like you if you really love somebody they'll be able to see that you love them by the things that you do by the behavior by the sacrifices that you make for that particular person just using the words I love you does not make it doesn't equal love and I think my opinion in terms of the world is that I think that you know, uh, honorable men, accountable, uh, brave, courageous. These traits, they don't really exist anymore. And I think there's a a sort of a push, especially with kind of social media and that kind of echo chamber of me, 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 me. I think people are kind of losing that that some of these values that are really important. You know, and going back to the honesty thing, if, if you can be honorable, if you can be caring, if you can be thoughtful, if you can be generous, and, and that can be to, towards charity, towards friends, towards helping, you know, a little old lady across the street. All of these things make role models and people to look up to. And even with teachers, I've had one or two teachers in, in my life that you can say, wow, okay, they've really given you hope and encouragement.
2: And these things are free this yeah. is this is a really odd this is kind of a slightly unart- inarticulated thought in some ways but it's something that's kind of been bobbing around oh, no, <laughs> oh,
3: <no. laughs> I'll start right
2: there. no no no, no. <laughs> it's not like that,
3: don't say it <laughs> <laughs>
2: um this is something that's kind of been bob- <laughs> this is something that's kind of been bubbling around <laughs> I a fake word yeah. <laughs> can't take him anyway. <laughs> um, this is something that's kind of been bubbling around in, in the back of my mind for, for a few months now. I think in many ways we all, like everybody wants to be cool in some ways. You know, everybody wants to be, what's what's that thing now? Everybody wants to be the main character. You know? want to be the main character in their life. Yada, yada, yada. Like, this is, I be a <laughs> yeah. um, I'm a Yeah, I'm always there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've kind of been thinking, like, Maybe, maybe people get to a stage where they're happy and they're they're content in who they are as people, and actually they want. Wouldn't it be nice to make other people feel cool? Wouldn't it be nice in your interactions with other people if you could make the people that were around you feel valued and and uh, kind of worthwhile and and cool and like their stuff was exciting? Instead of, I think I think we kind of have a tendency to try and take. Not, not even in the bad I mean, even good people, we just, we just want to feel it's th- like that really basic need to feel accepted and loved. And, um, so I, I have, this has been this idea in my head of, of maybe, maybe in situations, you try and make the other, just instead of making it about yourself, try and make it about the other person. Um, again, it's not really fully formed thought, but it, I think it ties in. No, I, yeah,
1: yeah, it does.
3: But I think we're also busy with work now, um, you know, and I think back in, you know, because we come from a generation that grew up with, you know, playing with sticks and stones out in the, out in the garden. Um, and I remember seeing the first kind of game boy, and it was like, wow, you know, um, I think, you know, you have the laptop, the laptop comes with you so you can work on the train, you have the work so you can actually be called whilst you're having lunch or dinner or whatever and I think work does interfere quite a bit um with sort of the daily life and maybe there is that kind of the side that says okay you do need to survive put food on the table and you know, roof over your head but maybe there is a point to at some point turning it off and and kind of saying okay I've, I've done the work now um, I'm actually going to focus on the family or you know the friends or hobbies or interests Um, Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah you know what what came to me hearing hearing Matt talk about focusing on someone else is just it it like reminds me of, of being a little girl and having the guy that wasn't so cool give me something or like tell me something I don't know and and that feeling of like oh yuck no like he's not cool and he's You know, and that's like the
2: instinct,
1: (laughs) even when we're little. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so, imagine, yeah, just thought like, imagine a world where my my priority was actually to make him feel good and think, "Wow, how do I make this person feel really great about the fact that he just expressed some love to me?"
3: Yeah, and the courage that that must have taken. Yeah,
1: you know, I like I'm. I'm 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 Venezuelan, so I grew up, you know, since age uh, until age ten in Venezuela, but still in Miami. I grew up with, you know, Hispanic culture, and you just kind of assume that men have the confidence to come up to women. It's just assumed, like it's just part of their nature, and, and the, especially in the Hispanic culture, there's clear gender, you know, distinctions in that. So it is it is very it was very surprising. It still surprises me, and even watching this film, um, how insecure men actually are. Just because we're all insecure. Well, I, you
2: know? I, I think I think that's we almost forget about this because we see it from the point of view of guys. But I think I think that is something that a lot of women don't realize is how hard it is, unless you're a playboy or player or pickup guy who's kind of conditioned yourself into. Then it is. It's very difficult. I mean, I would be curious in terms of. So growing up in Miami, in a Venezuelan culture, that's quite a big, that's quite a mix in terms of, you know, we're talking about gender roles earlier. I would just be curious, as far as your experience, integrating Venezuelan culture with US culture and...
1: Oh man, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of comparison for me where I would notice how, on one hand, the Venezuelan guy was more chivalrous and he opens the door and he's... You know, he treats you like, like a queen, you know, there's like that sense of like, let me serve my woman. But then at the same time, a lot of machismo, like a lot of, okay, but now you got to dress the way I want you to dress and you can't be seen with these people. And if you've hooked up with more than this many men, like I don't want to date you. And then with the American men, like they weren't opening the door, they weren't paying for the meal, but there was more of a sense of equality. And so I just think every culture has sort of their own pros and cons you know and and it was interesting and it it was interesting seeing seeing both sides I I honestly consider myself very privileged to have been able to see how how culture really plays such a big role in and how you show up and it has nothing to do with how much you like a girl or whether you're a nice person or not it's just how you were raised
2: well we we I mean obviously Barnaby lives in Italy I spent quite a lot of time in Italy we have a lot we have, you know, Italian friends and so so we've got to see both sides Ooh. of it as well in terms yeah, really. of the, the the English way of doing things and the Italian way of doing things. It's really interesting in terms of what's acceptable, what's um uh well, I was gonna, protocol is not quite the right word. Sometimes but, it doesn't but, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I think it would be in Italy it's it's very I mean Barnaby can probably Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's, it's a little bit inappropriate to ask a, a girl at, just on a date. Like generally you go out with, is that right? Or, or yeah.
3: You, you, generally the process is you go out with friends and they just happen to be there. You, okay. wouldn't, you wouldn't go straight over and say, okay, you know, let's go out on a date because they'd be just like, hold on a second. You know, I don't know you. Um, and it's not really called a date. It would be called mm. a coffee or something. Um, and yeah, it is, um, it's a long road. <laughs> <if anyone's-> <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, but at the same time,
3: at the same time, road. like I studied
1: abroad in Italy, where it was like very common and totally normal to walk down the street and for mm. men to say
3: things.
2: Yeah. Where did you study? Yeah.
3: So
1: it, you, you see those extremes like, in Florence.
3: Oh, very nice.
1: Yeah. Which is beautiful. And then also like I've had experience meeting a lot of Brazilian men. Mm. Um, and what's interesting there is like, okay, um, Hispanic, like Latino men are, have very, are, are very good with words. So they can say a lot and not really mean it. Uh-huh. Um, whereas Brazilian men are very physical. Like they, they'll hold your hand and kiss you in front of all your friends, even if you're not serious,
2: yeah. which is
1: something that like an American man would never do. And it's of course generalized,
3: yeah. but it's interesting yeah.
2: to see. I just wanted to say that about Italy. It's like we're talking about our experiences with the people that we know. You know, uh, somebody might watch this right. from Milan and say, exactly. oh, "Well, wherever, and just be, like, "Well, that's not the these guys have no idea." But, but it, it it is it's different. That's for sure. It's very different to the way things are done in the UK. The yeah.
3: thing we've been we've been lucky enough to experience yeah. um, a couple of continents um, and countries in our time and it's been nice to, to kind of yeah dig in deep into the culture and the food and the language and and the life um, yeah it's a, it's a good good learning curve
1: with the um, with the documentary did you guys kind of feel like it was sort of like the milgram experiment or the stanford prison guard experiment where people were just doing things they weren't normally do because of their position
2: i think they've been they've been sold the they've been these instructors are kind of sold themselves as the authority on the subject. Uh, it's inc- I mean, some of these instructors have uh, a lot of power over their students in terms of shaping their worldview. In terms of, um, and, and I think there's I think that's dangerous because th- th- there's this sort of unquestioning following and this, this attitude of, well, if I just learn the steps, if I just follow the steps, it will work. If I just put in a to B to C, especially, especially some of the more difficult, like, like there's this, you know, this ideas that they talk about a kind of token resistance from women where they'll say no, but they don't mean no. And, and I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. and obviously that's a recipe for all, all kinds of problems, especially if you have someone that is being taught these sort of things and, and, and being taught the way well, you, you just have to kind of push through that. I mean, that's, that's really where it starts to kind of completely fall to pieces I think in terms of, of mm. risks and yeah, yeah. Does that answer yeah. your question? Or
1: um a little bit. Yeah, I was just curious if you guys saw if if, if you guys saw this it's just, wow, these are just humans who are acting a certain way because of their position. Because I think it's so easy to look at people and say, Wow, they're the bad guys. They're the villains. Um and then you see something like the Milgram experiment or the Stanford experiment where people are completely acting out of their nature because of their position of their power like you just said
3: i think in terms of the documentary it, as the old saying goes it's like money power sex corrupts all i think the thing is is that once um you know there are there are a number of cultish elements to the pickup industry yeah um there is you know that sort of should we say almost scientology like pyramid um that you kind of climb um from being you know the the head coach to the assistant coach to the deputy assistant coach to the student all this kind of stuff and everyone is aspiring to get that kind of level up and you know what you've what you have in some of the situations is essentially very young guys who have hundreds of thousands of followers adoring them everything that they do is just magical they've changed their lives and so forth they're getting money. Um, you know, it, I think that's the corruption that maybe, um, you're kind of, you're kind of looking for. In, in, so it's not that sort of situational. It's more a gradual.
1: Yeah. Indoctrination yeah. That, I, I get um, what you're saying. Like that's where they start, they stop losing their humanity. And it's almost like yeah. they don't even realize the impact of their actions.
3: Then it becomes that drug of like, I need, I need more validation from guys. I need more money. I need more,
2: you know. Mm-hmm. I need to build my empire. What are the Milgram experiments? Is that the please continue experiments with the electric shocks? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Where
1: they you know because I I would see you know in in this film you guys have videos video footage of the men doing really horrible things to women you know and and it just made me think about these two experiments where it's not about mm-hmm. the person it's it's sometimes a product of of course, the history, like what happened to this person in their past, but also the circumstances, like when you're in a position of power, when you're, um, you just you you lose your humanity.
2: Well, I think I think also, um, you know, the it's it's although the, you know the pickup instructors do bad things. There's a very difficult there's a very difficult thing with making a documentary like this, where you spend a lot of time with someone, and some people some people. It's much easier than others because they are scumbags. Now, does they're still human beings? They still have humanity, but there are some. Mm-hmm. We met some extremely mm-hmm. unpleasant people doing this uh, that would be very, very hard to defend. Their behavior would be very, very hard to defend. Where it gets much more complicated mm-hmm. is when you meet people that that are not. You know that, that maybe you feel they're misguided, or maybe you feel that they have their own story of who they are, and it's not it doesn't match the reality and that's that's actually quite difficult because you you feel like uh you are betraying these people and i suppose if we're going to be completely honest you are betraying them to an extent because they're trusting you with their narrative it's a very very hard uncomfortable part for me of making documentaries like this does that make sense
1: yes, so and absolutely that's that's so interesting I mean, of course, I don't think people think about the filmmakers when they're watching a documentary and like the impact it has on, you know, covering being so intimately involved in, in a story like this one. What really stood out to me about this film is that the film was was basically like, we're going to show you guys what's happening. We're not going to give you opinions. It's just here's. Here's what's happening. I thought that for some reason that really stood out to me. I found that really interesting. You know, different than a film like, um, Spiracy where it's like very much in your face, telling you what to think. What was the, the thought process behind that of, of making this film without really imposing opinions on people?
2: Well, I think, I think we do have a very clear point of view. It's just maybe it's not, uh, maybe the way we've done it is not, uh, is slightly more subtle. I think if you can give the audience yeah. a bit of room to breathe and some people don't like the way that we did it. Uh, some people were kind of angry because they felt that we weren't hard enough on the pickup industry or we weren't critical enough. Um, which I was surprised at. I mean, I was, I, it's funny. It's always the things that you don't anticipate that you get criticized for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah. But I don't know Barnaby do you want to say
3: anything <laughs> yeah we, should, we shouldn't have even we shouldn't have even given them a platform but then it's like okay how do you educate people to what's going on you know because if you just brush it under the carpet it's not going to go away it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger mm-hmm. I mean maybe maybe this is going off on another tangent because post um, should we say the release of the documentary the pickup companies have gone, even more underground than they were before because being de-platformed from social media and social media was a large part of their kind of marketing scheme, they've rebranded themselves as life coaches, as financial gurus. Mm -hmm. And there is a huge issue at the moment, um, as far as kind of, you know, my beliefs go, that there's this kind of rise of the fake guru. Um, and to turn in, in the documentary, you have Ross is talking about, you know, if you were going to get, if you were getting on an airplane and you asked the pilot, you know, are we going to arrive in at the airport? And he said, maybe you'd, you'd get off the plane because you didn't believe or didn't trust them. So to flip that on its head and say, look, you wouldn't have an operation with, without going with a qualified surgeon with experience you just wouldn't do it. I mean, yeah. okay, maybe if you were in such a position in the middle of the desert and you had no other choice but to kind of cut yourself open and, you know, stitch yourself back up, you wouldn't put your life um, and you know, your your well being in somebody's hands that you don't know whether or not they're actually qualified to help you. And where Minnie is different, um Minnie's one of the contributors in the documentary is that she actually studied psychology as a degree. So she is qualified um, to understand some of those psych- psychological elements that go into this particular industry. And in her own words, she's like, I wanted to find out why or what was going on behind the scenes in order to, to kind of improve on this and not actually use it as a damaging um, kind of, you know, practice. And I think the thing is looking at a lot of the instructors it, it it's just like okay you know they read a book they went to a course they paid some other guy um you know lots and lots of money and all of a sudden they're a guru and they can effectively change other people's lives with their mentality and and I think that's where the sort of the the serious danger starts creeping in mm-hmm. um where you have lost people leading other lost people um who then, in turn, you know, pass it on, it, it, it can be quite quite right. dangerous.
1: And it's lost people that are idol- idealizing and idolizing these other lost yeah.
3: people. Yeah.
1: What the last question I have for you guys is: What are some actions we can all take as a collective? Like, what what is
2: the call to action here? I think the message. I think the message, <laughs> which which maybe is I mean, hopefully comes across, is. Um, is a few things. First of all, it's, a, it's a about the value of honesty. But I think, I think really what, what we're trying to communicate is or what I would really like for people to take away from it is this idea of becoming something else. If I can just become something else, everything will be all right is a, is a bit of a false goal. And it's a tendency that we all have. And I think that's something that we should kind of really sit down and question. Because most people are, have loads of things going for them. They just don't realize it. Um, yeah, sounds cheesy and corny and cliched, but I do actually believe it.
1: (laughs) It's perfect. It's perfect.
2: I think it's
3: been really, it's been really helpful to kind of have this conversation with you because I think we've thought about and looked at kind of areas of, of this topic that we kind of, Hadn't really focused on before. Um, I mean, take away from, from the documentary. Maybe it's not in there, but I think kind of sharing and caring and, you know, not living just for yourself. I think if you can give back something to the world, um, I think that's a much more rewarding, um, life to be living than to be sort of taking and, and effectively, you know, taking advantage of other people. Um, that's that's definitely something that the world needs to try and get better at, at not doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the film really is such a mirror for the ways that we all try to be something mm. else. Or, um,
3: I've, I've got one, one, one last one last comment on that. I yeah, yeah. One of one of the key one of the key sort of themes of the documentary is manipulation and you know we talked about this earlier on in, in the podcast it's like manipulation through advertising the government through trends through social media we're bombarded every single day and i think the thing is is that if somebody can actually stop for a second and say okay is my behavior am i manipulating someone or something and maybe if you if the answer to that question is yes maybe you do need to um, seek help elsewhere or um and stop whatever behavior it is that you know um, yeah
1: yeah absolutely well I will add another action to that which is to watch this film um, so to my listeners definitely such an important such an important um, film to to watch and discuss with with others so will you please tell my listeners where they can find
2: this film sure. uh, So it's available on stars if people have the Star subscription. Um, if not, you can find it on Amazon and uh, Apple TV slash iTunes or Google Play, all of the sort of video-on-demand platforms, uh, YouTube. Um, but, yeah, but if people have a Star subscription, they can watch it on there. Otherwise, they can rent it on the other platforms.
3: Perfect. And please, uh, you know, leave your comments um, and let us know what you think because, um, yeah, we'll be interested to... Yeah. Um, awesome
2: if i if i could just tee this up quickly um this wasn't a film that was made on a particularly big budget and there were lots and lots of people that pulled in all kinds of favors and gave a huge amount of their time to to make it look and sound and be uh the the film that it is um so we just wanted to say thank you to those people as a whole but specifically
3: um Cassandra, Will, Mike, James,
2: um, yeah, Coda post-production. They were fantastic. They're based in Soho, London. Anybody needs a good post-production company. Um, and I mean, they gave us a very reasonable rate. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, because they believed in the film and, and they did a fantastic job. It was, it was really an amazing experience to go to Toronto, uh, cause we premiered in, in, in Toronto at Hot Docs and just to, to, to watch the film being projected it was it was just cuz you've been sat there editing it on a laptop for years and, years and years and years and then you're still in the cinema screen and it's just a boom <laughs> it was wow. really cool
1: i'm sure it's um, an experience where it's like big and small at the same time like everything feels so normal like it's happening and at the same time it's like what is happening
3: well to stand on the on the pontoon area um in front of a Packed cinema with people lining up around the corner to watch your film and introducing it was a, a very novel experience. Wow. So, yeah, very mm-hmm. exciting. Let's not forget Pranilla Jones and Tazzleberry for their excellent performance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: sincerely and genuinely thank you very much to everybody that worked on this film it was not an easy film to make and um it would not be what it was without uh, those people and thank you especially to will will watson who was our executive producer who uh put in the financing and he did it at a time when it was just an idea and he did it off literally a, a very short meeting, but he liked it and you know, so thank you, Will. That's much appreciated.
1: Thank you guys so much for, for this conversation. Us. Really. Thank you for yeah, thank you for bye showing bye. up and leaning into the, <laughs> the vulnerable parts <laughs> of this conversation. <laughs> we took it so many places, but I think it just really, you know, all tied in um for a really important message. So thank you so thank much. Thank you for
2: having us. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of Commitment-Phobe. If this episode left an impact on you, please share with friends, family, loved ones, ex-lovers, the people in your life who you think would benefit from listening to these conversations. If you're curious about the kind of work that I do as an intuitive coach, head on over to my website, www.taniamilgram.com, where you can learn more about what I do with my one-on-one coaching clients group coaching programs and you can set up a discovery call with me to see how I can be of support to you. You could also follow me on Instagram on my handle at Tanai Milgram. I'm always posting content about what I'm up to and new insights, new learnings that I'm getting along my journey. And please head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review if you like what you heard. So together we can start changing the conversation we're having about intimacy and commitments. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you next week.